Hey, everybody, John Moe here. Thank you so much for all your support of the program, both the messages you've been sending and the dollars you've been donating. It's been fantastic. And also for recommending the show to friends. That has been really great. It really helps us grow. Think of donating to the show as a way of recommending it to friends with your wallet. Um, you can make a donation. It's super easy to do. And then we can tell more stories. We can uh, expand. We can reach more stories and more people and do even more about bringing light to the subject of depression. It's super easy to do. Go to hilariousworld.org and click on the donate button. That's hilariousworld.org and click to donate. Is depression funny? Is depression funny? Depressed people certainly can be. Um, depression can be funny in that, like, if you step back and look at, like, how sorry you feel for yourself in the grand scheme of things and you can kind of, like, be self-deprecating about it, it can be. But when you're not in the mood to, it's not at all. Doc says there's something wrong with me. I got a sadness I can't shake now. Is there something I can't take now? It's the hilarious world of depression. I'm John Moe. We talk to funny people who are good at expressing themselves and who have dealt with depression. Our guest on this episode is someone who's taken her depression and neuroses, ran them through a character that's a twisted version of herself, and presented the result for everyone to enjoy. It all happens on a Hulu series called Difficult People, where two friends inelegantly smash their way through life in New York. I love show business. Do bankers or doctors get a breakfast tent? No, suckers. This croissant is heaven. Right? Hey, uh, uh, this is craft services for the cast and crew of The Good Wife Only. We're both. He's a grip, and I'm playing a judge. Oh, God. oh, come on. Guys, this is what it's come to, stealing food from Juliana Margulies. Yeah, well, how else am I supposed to feed myself? It's Christmas rerun season. I don't have any recap money until January when The Bachelor starts up again. Hi, I'm Julie Klausner, and we are in New York, New York. Julie Klausner is a comedian, actor, writer, and she's the creator and star of Difficult People. Hulu recently announced that Difficult People was ending after three seasons. I spoke with Julie in September before that announcement had been made. On the show, she plays a character named Julie, who is vain and selfish and petty, and it's fun to laugh at her. The real Julie is pleasant and smart and warm, and it's fun to laugh with her. She's also been dealing with depression most of her life. Julie grew up in Scarsdale, New York, a suburb of New York City. Big family, small family? Uh, me and my older brother and my two parents that are still together. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, was comedy a big thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My my older brother turned me on to, like, the canon. Like, I got to, you know, beyond reading his Mad Magazines, he turned me on to Steve Martin's albums and Monty Python and... Uh, I was never into George Carlin, but he played me those albums, too. Um, and, um, you know, then it was like SNL and Kids in the Hall and SCTV. And um, I watched a lot of TV growing up. There was never a limit to how much TV I could watch. And I definitely took advantage of that. 
I remember being obsessed with Saturday Night Live, and I also just love stand-up. There was something just infinitely fascinating about somebody with a personality just talking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, you know, tape all the stand-up specials. When we got HBO, that was like all I wanted to talk about in school, which really tells you a lot about my relationship with my peers and how they didn't exist. <laughs> but when we got ca- I like specifically, I don't remember the day I got my period, but I remember the day we got cable. <laughs> it was such a big deal. Because all so the exciting. comedy opened up to you. Yes, yes, yes. And then like later on, there was, you know, Mr. Show and Larry Sanders, which is sort of my, I feel like Larry Sanders is my all-time favorite show. The Larry Sanders Show, created by and starring Gary Shandling as a vain, selfish, and petty talk show host who you still end up liking. Jeffrey Tambor played his sidekick, Hank. Hey now. There, you just said it again. And, you know, I asked you not to say it. <laughs> I can't say it off stage either. It doesn't even exist. Use hey now in a sentence, Hank. Uh, hey now, that was real funny. You know what, Hank? It's not even in the dictionary, hey now. Okay, okay, this is, this is how I use hey now in, in a sentence, okay? You say, and of course, my sidekick Hank. And of course, my sidekick Hank. Hey now! Hank. That's a sentence. No. Hank, listen, I just prefer you not do it on the show anymore, okay? I just, uh, it gets on my nerves, it gets on the audience's nerves as no, well. Sir. No, yes, sir. No, sir. No. Hank. Look, you're not out there. And believe me, it is, it's very big with the audience. No. It is this well-oiled relationship machine between the three leads that are all, you know, like buffoons, like the the high-low status is constantly going back and forth. But it's also a workplace family, which I've always wanted to be a part of. Like, I remember watching Larry Sanders and thinking like, oh, I want to, you know, have a talk show. And then it was like, no, I just want to be in relationships with people that are all kind of like focused on making this one show and making this thing. Um and um, you know, at my at my at my best, I feel like I'm Larry, and that I'm complaining about my hair and my ass, and my showrunners taking care of me, and it's such a it's such a gift. <laughs> and with Larry Sanders, everything was always on the brink of collapse. You got you got the sense that there was one bad decision away from just the whole thing catching on fire. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it just had like the you know the. Uh, conventions of like the office idiot, which was Hank and, um, you know, just people kind of like people sort of saying, oh, I love you, but they don't mean it's it's just a very show business idea of like, I love you, but I really love the show and we all love the show. So, you know, by syllogism, I love you, but I really don't because ultimately this is a business and we all kind of know that. And just how like his relationships were always so screwed up because he really just cared about the show. Right. That was just something I, I related to since I was little. Depression, when did that come calling for you? Adolescence. Yeah. Yeah. I was a very fearful kid. I had a lot of anxieties and phobias. I, I was afraid of going to the movies because I was afraid of seeing something that would really scare me. I started going to therapy as an anxious kid. And then um, around like 13, 14, um, you know, my adolescence definitely took a toll on, on, on my mood. And I was just, I mean, surviving high school emotionally was very, very challenging. How so? I, I didn't have a clique. I didn't have a group of friends. I, I I always, like, wanted to pursue things outside of high school. I think I was just in denial that I was a teenager, and I just wanted to be, like, you know, I, I would watch Woody Allen movies, and I wanted to be in my 30s drinking Merlot. You know, I wanted to be, like, outside of my situation, so I lived in my head a lot, um, and I, I just kind of couldn't see around me and, like— 
the the stuff I learned about sex was from like porn or movies. It wasn't from like fooling around with my peers and everything was just so grandiose and insular that I just sort of never really put in the effort to resolve my personality with my situation. I was like, things are always going to get better after this. I put myself under a lot of pressure to kind of like grow up beyond like I just grow up quicker. And I just couldn't get through that particular time. It was so muddled. You know, I, I wasn't I wasn't an unhappy kid by any stretch of the imagination. And I always did my own thing and I had friends, but like I was never, you know, popular in the sense of like I was never super involved with whatever was going on in school. I always kind of had my own like projects that I was like writing or making my own movies or doing stuff on my own. So I think there was just a reluctance to kind of like be a part of the world that, you know, was already separating yourself emotionally from your own reality, which is why the whole concept of like mindfulness, like be in the moment, be here now, like that is so tough for me because I'm used to coping with life by not being here now, by being elsewhere in my own kind of head and like, you know, wouldn't it be nice if I were this or I you know, or I was in this situation, or wouldn't it be cool if I were singing a song right now, as opposed to like, oh, I'm in math class, and that guy, Ryan, won't give me the time of day. She goes on to make a TV show where sometimes she sings songs, and it's a world that she invented because she created the show and plays a character named Julie Kessler. But we'll get to all that in a bit. As an adolescent, Julie tried some different meds. None seemed to work. Julie's mom is a therapist and referred her to another therapist that she knew, which was nice, but felt kind of weird because then you're opening up to your mom's friend. She tried to get better. Depression persisted. The depression itself in those years, was it, did it kind of come in, in fits and starts, or was it a, a low thrum all the way through? It was a pretty consistent um, period. And, and just a lot of, like, agitation, agitation, torture, like, hormones are such a bitch at that time. It's like you're hornier and more awkward than you ever are going to be at the same time in your life. Yeah. <laughs> you're, like, both incredibly horny and totally unfuckable. <laughs> <laughs> so was it, was it, a, it doesn't sound like it was a mopey, you know, no, it was Morrissey angsty, kind of angsty. Yeah. yeah, angsty, like, you know, just kind of like wanting to burst out and make stuff and be appreciated by strangers as, as the performers want. Yeah. And not being satisfied with just being who you were. Right. Or putting on a play at, at school and having your you know friends be like, great job. It's just something that was not I was way more grandiose and abstract in my mind. So you couldn't you couldn't enjoy the things that ostensibly should have gone well and provided a lot of uh, satisfaction. Exactly. Yes. Yes. After high school, it was off to NYU in Manhattan and more of this feeling of not quite being a part of the world everyone else was in, except with comedy. One night, Julie ended up at a screening of the pilot episode of Strangers with Candy, which was soon to be a series on Comedy Central. It was a comedy made to look like an after-school special, where Amy Sedaris played a 46-year-old disaster of a human being who returns to high school. Stephen Colbert played a bitter history teacher on the show. Very weird and funny. And Julie sees... This 
is produced in New York, I have to be involved. I have to, like, you know, just have some involvement with this weird, amazing thing. What they did and what they got away with and just the whole world of the show that they set up with the music and the tone and, like, Colbert is so funny on yeah. it. And it's just a very, like, you know, it was it was very... It was very queer. It was very weird. It was very smart. It was very dark. It really just, like, hit all of my notes. She lands a job on the show as an unpaid production assistant. And with comedy, things begin to finally make sense in the actual world. So, yeah, so I was interning as Strangers with Candy on, like, the third floor of um, the Technicolor building on Leroy Street. And then uh, the UCB was on the fourth floor where they were doing their Comedy Central show. UCB is Upright Citizens Brigade, an improv comedy troupe featuring Amy Poehler that grew into a TV show and an improv training school. And I remember being familiar with the UCB because they had come to uh, Luna Lounge and done shows like they, you know, did spots at the variety show there. And around like halfway into like my first year out of college, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to take a class. Um, I didn't I didn't know how to get started. I remember like just sort of being acquainted with stand up and alt comedy. It just sort of seemed like you were magically formed out of the, you know, you just sort of like emerged like Aphrodite on the half shell, like perfect. And you were ready to go on stage. And UCB was much more process oriented. Like they gave you they gave you room to fail and feel supported. And like just that there was an outstretched, you know, arm that you could kind of like just enter a class and feel like, oh, okay, like this is this is one way of meeting people and getting started and figuring out what it is that I can do or what I do want to do. You sound like you were in a, a pretty ambitious, positive place during this. Was the depression in check at that point? Yeah, I think I was really just completely like I was just so excited at the idea of you know, there's there might be a path because I, I always knew that there was a destination, but I had no idea what the path was. And I think like just the, just enjoying the process of, you know, meeting people and doing stuff and getting on stage and feeling funny and feeling like, you know, there are things to learn and things to do and that you're not alone was really encouraging at the time. It really opened a, a, a lot of light. Okay, so you're thinking this lady, Julie Klausner, has a great experience interning on a TV show and taking classes at an improv school in New York. So what? Strangers with Candy was canceled long ago, and most of us aren't going to learn improv from Amy Poehler anytime soon. But here's why it matters to Joe and Jane Depressive. Julie hadn't been engaging much in the actual world to that point thanks, Depression, working on the creation of a TV show, which is a hard task but with visible results, helped. So did learning improv comedy, where you have to be fully present in the moment for it to go well. And showbiz became Julie's path. I find with, with some performers who have dealt with depression, the performance instinct is a coping mechanism. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a way of, like, getting out of themselves to a performing place where they don't have their own regular thoughts because they're in a character, they're in a different world for mm -hmm. a little while. And you can also get the applause of strangers that you could never provide for yourself. Yes. Um, and and some of that seems unhealthy to me. Oh, no question. <laughs> Even though the I've ups kind and of downs, done it myself. Yeah. yeah, I mean, were were you getting into that in order to, to fill a hole that you had? Oh, certainly. I mean, we all are sort of filling holes as we go, but I would also argue like the just the sheer adrenaline of it is just something that 
releases a certain amount of whatever, like, the pleasure chemical is that just completely, like, lets you forget about the way things really are when you are receiving that kind of feedback and you're sort of acting out the way that, you know, it's not, it doesn't come naturally in in real life necessarily. Mm. But um, but there's also something, like, inherently social about performing. And so often, you know, people with depression really isolate. So just the very notion of, like, you know, being seen, I think, like, makes you feel like you're part of the world again. Julie's been in and around the comedy industry for the last 20-odd years, writing, producing, acting. In 2011, she started a podcast called How Was Your Week, which was a big hit and led to more attention, which ultimately led to difficult people. I sat down and wrote uh, the script that I would want to make more than anything in the world. Like, I just sort of wrote my dream show. I had an article coming out about my podcast in the New York Times, and I was like, what if this is a thing? Like, what if people see this article and they come to me and they're like, who are you and what do you want to do? And wouldn't it be nice if I could just be like here and hand them a script? And, you know, needless to say, like the article came out and nobody cared. But like um, I I had the thing and I was really excited about it. And it was something that had come from my podcast because I was talking, um, you know, to strangers once a week and talking to myself. The script got noticed. Amy Poehler got on board as a producer and suggested focusing the show on the relationship between Julie's character and her best friend, played by Billy Eichner. God, I hate the sound of children laughing. Oh, shit. Annie is an understudy today, and her name is Taylor. This generation... I swear to God, if she blows this role, I will strap down my tits and get up on that stage. Excuse me, could you please watch your language? Oh, my God. I am so sorry. Miss. Yes. Miss, I am so sorry. Okay. We can't do that you at all. You can't do that. Not gonna I'm sorry. Do that. I think you can. But We're seeing Annie. I paid $120. Annie. Dollars. I can say players? shit if I want to. You, hey. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. I would pay $120 for both of you to leave right now. This is a public place. And you know what? We're not seeing the real Annie. You're not seeing the real Annie today. Do not talk to do my children. Do you know children. what an understudy is? You are terrifying my children. I'm not ter- terrifying. You are terrifying. I told them a fact of life. You're a terrifying Annie, person. Nobody wants to see you. You're a terrifying person. You know me? I do know you. Understudy is a, that's like a fancy word for disappointment. I never really got as much work as a performer as I did as a writer. I've always done both, but I I knew that if I was going to have, you know, any kind of career as a performer, I'd have to write something for myself because I'm just sort of not someone that is asked to, you know, be in things as much and maybe I don't audition well. I, I really don't know, but like... I, I've always had a very strong voice, so I I knew that, like, you know, because performing was always sort of as important to me as writing, that I would be able to do both only if I put in the work and actually, you know, did the—I did the, always picture, like, writing for myself as, like, wrapping a Christmas present for myself that I get to unwrap when I actually get to do the thing that I wrote, um, mm-hmm. you know, from writing the show to actually, like, shooting it. Um, the, the performing element, as exhausting as it is, is really the fun part. Difficult People was a hit on Hulu. The San Francisco Chronicle said the writing is hilariously great, as are the performances. The New York Times said Julie and Billy are all about self-loathing, and they invite you to loathe right along with them. Just ahead, how Julie is just like Julie, but Julie is nothing like Julie. Julie. 
A quick reminder, we are on Facebook. Much more about Julie Klausner is at our Facebook page. Look for us on Facebook. You'll find us. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illness, not just depression, but all kinds of mental illnesses. We enjoy having a lot of laughs on this show. It's a way of dealing with depression. It's a way of coping, maybe demystifying depression a little bit. But let's not kid ourselves. This is a serious disease. The good news is that people can and do recover. They get help. And that's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. It can be an awkward conversation, of course, mental illness, but makeitok.org is full of information you can use, what to say and what not to say, and stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, or other mental illnesses. Go to makeitok.org. You can take the pledge right there to make it okay. Thank you so much to Health Partners and to Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. Back with Julie Klausner. As I talked to Julie about her mental state and her improv background, I couldn't help but think of one of my favorite Difficult People episodes, where Julie Kessler, the character, gets together with old pals from improv class. Going back to her happiest moment, and that's when she was happiest, and she wasn't sure if it was because she was high all the time, which is certainly a very integral part of like doing, you know, UCB at least for me in my early twenties, uh, and, mid, and mid and late. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, but also just like, oh, I was happiest then, you know, why was that? And let's go back, and maybe it was, you know, the the improv philosophy of yes and, and I've got your back, and supportive, you know, community, and like there really is something to. That that, like feeling like you're a part of something um, bigger than yourself. And for me, like I hadn't had that experience at NYU. It was too big. I didn't really feel like I was a part of a community until I, I started you know, doing stuff at UCB. But it's funny to me that when you wrote about your character having that experience, and I understand that you are not the character you play on Difficult People, that you chose to make make it a horrible thing. Yeah. And like a, you know, her favorite memories of when she was happiest, clearly people didn't like her very much. No, she had no self-awareness. Here's a clip from that episode. Oh, Julie, this reunion is so fun. What a great idea to get together. I just remember, I was so happy when we did shows. Melissa, remember that sketch? Oh, the nacho did? sketch? Yes. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> remember my bit about Carol Channing at the dentist? She was like, Ray, how old is your baby? Uh, he's six weeks, and we already think he has a learning disability. So, oh, yeah. Wow. Hey, yo, motors! <laughs> hey, remember that time we went to Calgary? There are cringes in every episode of Julie's show. That one with the improv class is one of the cringiest. In it, Julie lies that she slept with someone who later died and then lies again to the dead man's dying mother. And in between, she smokes pot around a baby. 
That's the biggest difference between me and my character on the show is that she has no idea that people don't like her. And all I do is think about how people don't like me. Or And she also is really comfortable with herself. Like she never whenever whenever things go wrong for her, she blames people around her. Whenever things go wrong in general, I just assume it's my fault and I turn it inward. But she is nice to play someone with the kind of like, you know, just stupid confidence where it's like, I can't believe they got in my way again. <laughs> right. That That's interesting because I think that. The, the character has described herself as depressed or has talked about depression on the show, but yet she trucks through life, doesn't she? She's a lot. She's a lot. She's a lot happier than I am. She's a lot more chipper. She's a lot more like high energy. She's also like she's constantly surrounded by people. She's not as solitary as I am. Like I need a lot of time by myself in order to write and do my thing. Like there's a very specific balance of company and solitude that is integral to my mood and my well-being. Um, she's either with Billy all the time or she's with her boyfriend or she's with her mom. I mean, you can see that she's really stressed out when it comes to her mom. And there's a lot of vulnerability around, you know, her interactions with her mom. Yeah. Um, but no, she she's she. You know, she identifies as an unhappy person. She's certainly angry, but she, um, you know, for the maybe it's just for the sake of the show being more high energy. She's just a lot. You know, she's she's definitely dumber than me, which I appreciate. The ability to play someone dumber is always fun. Julie's character is just one part of a whole ensemble of people Julie created, who would all be pretty much unbearable to spend time with. I came to it late because I thought I. I'm already a difficult person. <laughs> I'm around difficult people. Yes. Why? How could that be my entertainment? No, thank you. Yeah. And then I came to it, and the characters are difficult, but they have they have such a humanity. They're trying to make it through. Yeah. And they're they're trying to like overcome, accept what they are, and overcome yeah. what they've been dealt. Yeah. And they're kind of heroic in a way. Well, they also love each other, which is such a. I mean that that that's like Amy Poehler's genius was to you know hit, like hang the series on that. Yeah. You know the the fact that like whether or not these characters are unsympathetic based on their actions towards the outside world, like they are loyal to each other. You will never see Billy or Julie fight. You will never right. see you know one of them up to something that the other doesn't know about. Like. You know, because you have that sort of romantic, you know, friendship in the center of it, like absolutely fabulous, you know, you can kind of get away with murder. Yeah. Um, and that that does make them, um, you know, more sympathetic. But then the also, you know, the, the other thing is like they're not the only difficult people like the people around them are yes. difficult, too. Like everyone on the show kind of is, except for, you know, two of the main male straight cisgender characters, which are just completely subservient and loving and adoring of their wives, which is, you know, Arthur and, and Nate in the cafe, right. um, Gabrae's husband on the show, um, because that just makes me laugh. Like, <laughs> and also it's just a hat tip to like the understanding wives and all these sitcoms where the husbands would be stupid and do crazy stuff and they'd just be like, oh, honey, you're so crazy. And I just wanted to flip that. But, um, yeah. but no, everyone on the show is difficult. And they live in a really difficult, unfair world. Like when they don't get in their own way, the world will pick up where they left off and screw things over for them because they're right. Like the world is garbage. Like yeah. to some extent, show business is unfair and stupid and crappy. And they are, you know, more talented than what they deserve. But they're also stupid and arrogant and they get in their own way and they never take responsibility. So, you know, it's a double meaning for the for the title for sure. I asked Julie if these characters penchant for stumbling, for ruining the lives of themselves and others, if that comes from her own lifelong struggle with depression. 
that just comes from what I think is funny. Yeah. I, I mean, there's nothing funny about optimistic, successful people. You know, like I, I think I. But I, what it does come from more specifically is talking about things that make me depressed, and then converting it from like feeling sorry for myself to comedy. Because you know, using situations in which I was embarrassed or I failed or other people annoyed me, and the the moment you bring that out into the light by speaking about it, it becomes funny and, you know, you're sharing it. It's like, like, I always like think about how they say there's no color at the bottom of the sea because there's no light. Uh-huh. It's like you bring up these dark ideas and you speak about them and all of a sudden there's light on them and they're, you know, you're, you're using them to connect to people and not just to turn them against yourself. So there are so many things on the show that if I weren't talking about them or writing about them, I would just be beating myself up about. And and part of it was like me struggling in comedy and not, you know, watching everybody that I had sort of come up with go on to success and being really bitter about that and thinking like, uh, you know, there's nothing cute about being bitter and then thinking, well, what if there was something cute about being bitter? And, you know, what if I just completely owned it? And why not? I mean, it worked for like Larry David, there was definitely like a feminist, you know, agenda of like, I want to be as cranky as he is. And, and you know, as as like, I, I want to get to be the funny one. Too. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's I think when you bring up those humiliating things or those embarrassing things or those things that made you anxious or depressed to and present them to people, you realize how universal those things are. Absolutely. And that's, the recognition is what gets the laugh. Yeah, the recognition and you're sharing it and you're also like, as you're saying it out loud, you're realizing that your personality isn't completely grounded in just being hurt. It's also, you know, grounded in observing it and seeing that it can be like actually funny, that, you know, there's a part of you that isn't just a victim, that yeah. you can also kind of like turn it against itself. And, and there's definitely like a reclaiming of the experience with that. Can you give me an example of maybe something that happened to Julie on the show that's based on something that happened to you? Well, oh, I mean, there, there was there was a situation in which like I couldn't go any further on my antidepressants. <laughs> like I was just gonna have to completely change my meds because I was just on the maximum dose, and that was sort of the season arc for this um, for season three. Was Julie finds out that she can't go up on any more antidepressants, so she sort of looks for happiness in other you know venues and tries to find it with meditation and you know going back to her earliest happiest memories and all that stuff. Um, so yes, there have there have been times where I've like hit a you know medicinal wall, uh-huh. and I've thought to myself like, how pathetic am I that like you know I'm at the point now where because because when they take you off one med and put you on another one, like that's just hell. It gets a lot worse before it gets better, and so you know part it's of it's all such just a like, crapshoot anyway. You're oh like, oh my god, you know, let's let's see what this thing does. I know, and like the time involved, and then you have to tell people that you're changing your meds in case you're acting crazy, and you just have to like. <laughs> Like, let people, like, just so you know. Um, I'm so, tapering. Yeah, I'm, I'm tapering. tapering. I'm tapering. And I'm ch- I just say I'm changing. Because it could be, it could mean I'm adding. Could mean I'm tapering. Could mean I'm swapping out, you know. Right. Um, so that's definitely something that, you know, I, I wrote about and tried to make funny. <laughs> and then also just, like, the acceptance at the end of the season that, you know, 
I'm an unhappy person. Like, just, it was something that occurred to me that was always, like, the meanest thing that you could say about a woman was, like, oh, she's a really unhappy person. Like, just how, you know, you're jealous of someone or someone bothers you and, like, that's the thing that you tell yourself to make yourself feel better more than anything is, like, oh, she's really unhappy. And, like, how does that make you better? It doesn't, but it makes you feel better for some fucked up reason. And so I wanted to, like, go into that a little and just be like, yeah, I'm an unhappy person. What else have you got on me? You know what I mean? Like, is that the worst thing in the world? It sucks for me, but how does that benefit you? So I I thought that might be interesting to kind of own that and also say, you know, as I said in, like, the second to last episode, like, because I do comedy, I will always be on the misery spectrum. You know, like, as long as I'm as, as, long as I'm funny, like, there's going to be parts of me that are completely miserable and hopefully I'll just, you know— keep swapping them out for things that connect to people. But if not, then uh-oh. Now, on this program, we often hear about comedians who talk about their depression on stage, the alchemy of turning depression into comedy, telling stories from your own life on stage. But Julie does it differently. She made a version of herself that isn't always a literal representation of who she is, but still always feels truthful. <sighs> Thank you for letting me come back. I missed this audition yesterday because, well, I've been trying for a long time to get happy and I've tried everything, medication, meditation, facial filler. But the one thing that worked was giving up on the only thing I've always known I've wanted to do. Look, I may not be a great performer and because I do comedy, I will always be on the misery spectrum, but this is what I do and this is who I am. I am an unhappy person, but the alternative is being somebody I don't know, and that is terrifying. So I've made a decision. I am happy to be unhappy. Thank you. This isn't a casting office, is it? It, it begs the question, are you a happy person or an unhappy person? I, I, I don't think I'm a, a particularly happy person. I, 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 think, I also think happy is a mood and not a personality. Um, but like for the most part, I, I'm very satisfied with my, with my work and for the most part, my life, um, there are things that make me a lot happier than others, like being busy, you know, seeing something come together, like watching something I wrote, like take off and having the people be in it be amazing. And, and then I'm also just a lot happier when I'm dating someone and I'm in love. I mean, there's like no antidepressant like that chemically. Um, so depending on where I am, like. I, I try to think of it as like the weather and not just like a climate. It sounds like when you're in a not so good place relative to other better places where you sometimes are, it sounds like you're kind of OK with that. I have to be because at a certain point, you know, it's the Vietnam War. <laughs> you're like you can't, you know, you can't just like keep doubling down on the friggin Viet Cong. It's like, <laughs> come on, they're the Viet Cong. You're not going to win. Just, like, cut your losses, man. You're just giving Ken Burns more episodes exactly. at that point. Exactly. How many times can they play all along the Watchtower? <laughs> that stuff costs money, you know? Those the Helena Rubensteins can't afford another. Oh, no. Here comes Buffalo Springfield again. Arthur Vining Davis isn't made of money. No, he certainly is not. <laughs> Nor are viewers like you. Right. But yeah, it's a work in process. It's not like I've given up and I'm like, oh, I'm just depressed. I mean, like, it's a fight every day. But, you know, it's ultimately, like, I'm, I know who I am. Yeah. Did that take a while? Certainly. I mean, it's still a, it's still a work in process. And 
like I said, like there are times when I'm happier than others. And so, you know, that just sort of encourages me to like be busier or like look for love or, you know, be more social. Like I have to. But then you also have to be in the state of mind to do that. Like you have to be in a good state of mind to want to stay in a good state of mind or be in a good state of mind. And the motivation around that can be like a real Eros Baros, you know. Like if you're just not motivated to get better, you're not going to you know, make those strides. For a person with depression, just reading a script is impressive. Writing one, gosh, even more so. To get a pilot made is an astonishing achievement. Picked up for series, getting to season three, that is so rare I've run out of superlatives. It was definitely, it definitely took a like a big, you know, chunk out of it because I felt like my, like, like I said, like productive and my life felt worth more worthwhile in the sense of like, I imagine when you have a kid, it's like, okay, I'm more than just me. I'm also this thing. Right. Well, that's not how people think about their kids, I imagine. But like, it just, it, it was nice to be able to say like, okay, I've at least done something and I've, I'm going to leave this behind. And also like, I really do have fun making the show and that. You know, people don't really talk about fun a lot. Like the pursuit of fun almost seems like a, you know, contradiction in terms because how could you like work on having fun? But there are these like, you know, little spurts of joy and fun in the process um, that um, definitely like, you know, I'm I'm really happy when I'm working on the show. I really am. It's it's the love of my life. Um and uh, it's just, you know, it's an up and down. It's definitely like that's just sort of the nature of creativity. And I always say like writing is the opposite of performing because when you write, you feel like shit and you feel like gr- you feel great when it's over. Mm-hmm. And when you're performing, you feel great and you feel like shit when it's over. So if you kind of like stagger those two, um, you might have the right rhythm. But then like I haven't really figured out like the, you know long-term security of it where I have like a consistent schedule but who knows maybe if I did that would make me even more miserable because I'd feel trapped I don't know and then how is the depression tracked with all that or the anxiety or or you know I don't know what kind of cocktail you have depression never rides alone I I am definitely more depressed than anxious Uh um it there's I, I, listen, like distraction and work has always been the best thing for my depression. And whenever I'm busy and absorbed and engaged and challenged and surrounded by people of the same goal and, you know, creatively fulfilled, which is just like I'm so lucky to be able to be creatively fulfilled with the show. Um, I, uh, I I'm just focused on something besides how I feel and invariably like I feel pretty good because I feel productive. I feel worthwhile. Like even at my most depressed um, or especially at my most depressed, I always try to be productive because it's kind of sometimes your self-esteem is is hanging on that string. And if you could say, well, you know, the nor Efron, like everything is copy. Like if you could just if you could write if you could get something out of it that is a piece of writing, then it isn't all for naught. It isn't just you suffering in a room watching your life go by. Then, you know, being productive is a huge part of me feeling good about myself. Um, so the combination of feeling good about myself and, you know, actually feeling good is is very closely linked to 
to my work. And then in between seasons, I'm a mess. Because <laughs> <laughs> you want to be working. Yeah. I, I'm not great with, you know, unstructured time. And, I, and I, I like being busy. Maybe I'm a workaholic. I'm not sure. But I, I have a lot of creative energy and I have a lot of social energy. And the best thing about writing for television is you don't do it alone. I mean, you go off and write the script alone, um, which, like I said, is such an important part of that balance. You know, the idea of like breaking a story in a room with people that make you laugh and you get to make laugh and figuring out a puzzle together and then you get to go off and have the best of both worlds and kind of just be alone with your brain once you know what the roadmap looks like. It's kind of the best job ever. So you're not a lay in bed depressive then? You're not a oh, don't sure. get out of bed? Oh, sure. I are. absolutely am. When I'm not working, I am. Okay. I mean, I like the thing about the show is it's the most important thing in my life and my world. I mean, I would never, ever... Like, even if I was so depressed, I would get out of bed for the show. There's nothing I'm going to do to, like, ever jeopardize the show um, just because I, I almost feel like it's a child or something. It's like my life is less important than it's. So even if I do feel horrible, like, I will always show up. You'd dive in, in front of a bullet for no question. If, if it was a, being shot at the show. In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I just don't, just not showing up for it has never been an option. I'm, I'm too lucky to have this opportunity that I've, like, worked you know, so hard for. All things do end. What if, you know, what if difficult people were were to end? It sounds like you've got so much stocked into this thing. I do. I know. Yeah. Yeah, that would be pretty bad. I'd have to change my meds again. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I am always like trying to work on something else at the, at the not at the same time, because when I'm working on difficult people, I really can't do anything else. I'm It's just a full time job. I mean, with all that I do on it. But, um, you know, in between stuff, I, I try to, you know, write other things in hopes of those kind of overlapping as as things, you know, move forward. What do you know now about mental health or mental illness that you wish you knew a long time ago? Um, I mean, I think I, I think thinking about it as weather instead of the climate is helpful. Like just that there's a certain baseline that I'm never necessarily like, I don't want to say never, but like I'm probably not going to accomplish where, you know, you wake up and there's birds around you and, you know, you just kind of like enjoy every, you know, every drop of juice from the orange. Like, I, I think that accepting that a little sooner and knowing that there's ups and downs and that there's different kinds of happiness, too. Like, there's the happiness and feeling satisfied with something that you made that you really believe is great. And then there's, like, the happiness of, like, falling in love. And there's the happiness of, like, you know, being, like, you know, fucked up and dancing. And, you know, there's just different, there's different kinds that it's all just construed of moments. I'm excited for the next Julie Klausner project, and I'm bummed out that her show was canceled. Not just because it made me laugh a lot, but because unlike a lot of TV, it showed a world where things weren't always great, and it showed people who just plowed through that world anyway. And it was a world where things didn't get resolved, a world where people don't always hug at the end. Shows don't really die anymore, though. There just aren't new episodes. You can still go watch Difficult People, and you should. And try to track down Strangers with Candy, too, because it's super funny and was ahead of its time. Hey, maybe you can even sign up to take an improv class. 
The Hilarious World of Depression is produced by American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Kate Moose is executive producer. Our recording engineer at the Marketplace Studios in New York was Sarah Bruguer. Our technical director for this episode was Eric Stromstad. Christina Lopez is our social media czar. Thanks also to Nate Toby. Our theme song, Pagliacci, was written and performed by our good friend Rhett Miller of the rock and roll band Old 97s. You can learn more about Rhett at his website, or really at a lot of different websites, because the internet is a big place. But his website is rhettmiller.com. If you need help, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. It's free, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. 1-800-273-8255. The 8255 spells talk. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illness. MakeItOK.org has information to check out for yourself or for someone else. We know that starting a conversation about these matters can be awkward, but Make It Okay has tips on what to say and what not to say. Stories of hope from people who have been there. You can take the pledge to Make It Okay at makeitokay.org. We're on Twitter at THWofD. And on Facebook, just search for us, you'll find us. You can write to us at THWOD, T-H-W-O-D, at AmericanPublicMedia.org. And we're on the World Wide Web with a website, HilariousWorld.org. On our next episode, a raw and honest conversation with writer and pundit Anna Marie Cox. I was lucky, you know, um, my ex-husband found me before things got too bad and uh, ambulance. I mean, I don't remember any of anything really except w- waking up. You didn't expect to wake I up. I didn't expect to wake up. I was so pissed. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't like, oh, another chance at life? No. Well, I pissed. I was kind of like, I felt defeated. Defeated is probably the better word. I felt like, I think my like exact sort of thought was, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> fine. I'm John Moe. Bye now. Would you say I'm a sad clown? Tell me something I don't know.